Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. This is The Breakfast Show, positively different radio in the morning and you are with Lyle and... Mon, how's it going, Lyle? Going great, Mon. How are you? I, I, I'm a good, I'm good, yep. Mm-hmm. You good? Yep. You're not amazing. I'm, I'm just a bit worried because like, I woke up this morning, I didn't have a single notification on my phone. And? Well, that's really odd. I usually wake up to like 300. Why? Because the rest of the world isn't sleeping when Australia is. So, I, I did not realize you were so such a social media what? No, it's, not, it's not about social media. It's just about the results of having traveled and having worldwide friends. So, I don't know. I'm not feeling very loved today, Lyle. Oh, yeah, could um, you just take care of that for me, please? Sure. Okay. So, everybody, one eight hundred three two four eight four three is the number to call to give Mon some love this morning. I'm good. Or, I'm good. or text us through on zero four nine one zero six four six six nine, and her personal number is. Nah, 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 nah. <laughs> Come on now. Come on now. I don't need that much love. It's okay. I'm, I'm fine. I'm really fine. Uh, Mon, we worried. love you. We all love you this morning. All of our listeners love you. Man, um, that was the biggest fish I've ever done. Um. <laughs> How are you this morning, Lyle? I'm amazing. Oh yeah, uh, absolutely yeah. amazing. I'm I'm feeling the love. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Uh, I didn't had no notification. Actually, I know I had one <laughs> notification. I had one notification on my um, social media when I woke up this morning to say your phone was fully charged. Ah, uh, to say that somebody wants me to go to Oregon. Oh, dude, do it. Of course, Oregon's amazing. Absolutely. Your wife and I did a little road trip around Oregon, and it was like one of the best trips ever, ever, ever. Okay, so that's the uh, that's the that's the. The, the, the pencil, penciled in plan for... Uh, Can we take Faith FM there? Can we do Faith FM from Oregon? May June next year. Man, I am so happy right now. <laughs> I'm so down to do radio. I'm going Oregon. to Oregon and suddenly Mon is so happy. Yeah, well, no, no, we're all going to Oregon now. <laughs> See what the happened? The plan has progressed, Lyle. <laughs> 30 Didn't seconds catch later. <laughs> That's how it happens, Lyle. You're going to be quick. This is, this is Mon. You only have to mention any part of the world other than right here. And Mon's like, yeah, yeah I'll go, I'll go, I'll go. <laughs> anyway, uh, great show coming up for you today. This is a reminder, you are listening to the delayed broadcast here on Faith FM. If you would like to listen to the live show and interact with Mon and myself for the breakfast show, then simply go to faithfm.com.au and press play or use the TuneIn radio app. I reckon it's going to be a banger of a day. There you go. Mon, would you like to go to Elephant Island? I would like to go anywhere, like I think we just discussed this. Where is Elephant <laughs> Island? Antarctica. Can I come? Oh, yeah, totally. I'd love to go to Antarctica. You will see there a highway from God's own hand That will lead back the lost to the promised land And the voice of the Savior will call us friends Saying join in the song of the Lord We will call back our armies returned from war And we'll make into plowshares our useless swords Very soon to forget what they once were for When we join in the song of the Lord We will say in that day to the Lord give thanks We will not be afraid For He comes to save We will shout, we will call every tribe and race Come and join in the song of the Lord You will see there a banquet for sinners 
friend Where we'll sit with the Lord at the table's head And our shepherd himself is our wine and bread And we'll join in the song of the Lord We will say in that day to the Lord give thanks We will not be afraid for He comes to save We will shout, we will call every tribe and race Come and join in the song of the Lord When the remnant return to the promised land When the highway of God brings us home that woke everybody up this morning. That was Wendell Kimbara with We Will Say In That Day, Isaiah chapter 12. There you go. Mon. Time for our quiz line. I have a challenge for our listeners this morning oh, before go we get on. to the quiz. Yes. Go on. Okay, so here's our number, 1-800-324-843. My challenge to you is to find somewhere in the world that Mon doesn't want to go to. There is one space, but I'm not going to tell you what it is. Just one. Well... <clears throat> Only one place. That I can think of. <laughs> Only one place. Okay, so see if you can come up with some other places. If you can unsell it Mon- to me. By the way, Elephant Island is a rock. And I still want to the go ocean. there. <laughs> it's just all it is. It's just a rock. <laughs> Do you know what it made me think of? For any of you comic book fans out there, um, Tintin and the Shooting Star, and he goes to a rock in the middle of the ocean, and then he has like an adventure on a rock. So to me, like it all depends on who you are. You can go anywhere where there's nothing it's and still have an adventure. It's not, it's all it is is a rock. But I think you missed the point because afterwards I get to walk around for the rest of my life saying, Sex hey, is a very cool history I went with to Elephant Island. If anyone's ever heard the story of the Endurance and Sir Ernest Shackleton, uh, he lived there for a period of time and uh, <coughs> performed one of the greatest uh, rescues of all time from that particular rock. But anyway. But hey, give it a shot. Yeah, have I'll a shot. I'll be honest. I, okay. won't, I won't just say yes to everything just so I can win. I'll be right, honest. We want to we find somewhere in the world that Mon does not want to visit. Yeah. Yep. She doesn't want to go. I'll be honest. If you can tell me how terrible it is and really unsell it to me, I will be honest and say, okay, you're fine. You win. I don't want to go there. <laughs> but I just want to let you know it's going to be really hard. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. What have you got for our quiz? I got there, another Mon? challenge. I got the quiz. Okay. This is a who am I? I'm going to move away from uh, what cities am I? We did like three or four of them in a row. So now we're going to skip back to who am I? So this is a Bible character. And the first clue is this. I said, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. 
Who said that? Any idea, Lyle? Any ideas at all? I got an idea. I'm going to have a stab. Let me okay. Have a stab. If you would like to have a stab of it, you can totally do that. Uh, give us a call. 1 800 Faith FM. 1 800 324 843 is our number. You can text 0491 And I just want to say if you have a stab at it and you stab wrong, that's okay. You can stab again. Wow, this has gotten really violent, hasn't it? If you have a guess and you're wrong, it's fine. You can keep guessing. I stabbed and I hit the target. Yeah, Lyle got it right. Um, but you can you can take as many guesses as you like throughout this show. I mean, yeah. as long as you're not calling the producer shell. Like you make a phone seconds. call each time. Yes, that's right. You can. you can't just sit on the phone and go from one to the next. Right, you can't just open your Bible and go, no, no. okay, here's Adam, there's Eve, <laughs> Cain, <laughs> Abel. <laughs> none of that. Our producer that. might not appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, she might be like, look, i got to get off the phone, i got work to do. Anyway, if you get it right, we will send you a prize. Um, yeah, so What's happening in our world this morning soon. to make us all happy? Dude, I got some really... Do you know what? I'm going to confess, this morning I was like getting ready to come to work and I'm like hanging out in the shower where I draw my thinking... And I'm thinking to myself, do you know what? I've been talking about plastic and green stuff for like quite a long time on the radio. I need, I need to stop talking about that, even though it makes me happy and it should be inspiring people to do better. I need to stop being such a greenie on the radio. You and are like, a shocking greenie, you know. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but then I um, but then I read this article and I'm like, nah, we're going straight back to plastics. No, 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 no. <laughs> this is so cool. This is no. Please. I'm going to talk about plastic Spare one more us. time this week. One more time. One more I time. I need someone to call up with a positively different news story that is not. That I'm going to give you two stories today. One's about plastic and one's not about plastic. Okay, can we do that? I've this got is a positively just, different story that's just, got nothing to do with plastic. I can share that. If look, you like. you've been slipping up this week. All your good, all your news stories have been good news stories. All your stories have been like duplicates of mine. Not duplicates, but like in not the same right. vein. No. Anyway, anyway, anyway. Lyle, this is this is beautiful in its simplicity. It's okay. actually a story about plastic and rice, okay? So here we go. Here we go. Um, this is... Oh, I, I'm, so, I'm so into the story. A village in the Philippines, right? Yes. Has simultaneously cleaned up its streets and fed the hungry by trading plastic for free rice. Oh, that's cool. That's amazing. It's just... It's a simple yet brilliant new community program. Um, you know, and that's two of the, the village's serious, most serious issues in the Philippines. The Philippines, third world country. Um, and, and like you, you know, you and I have often said, uh, the plastic waste on the streets in third world countries is just horrific. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and then also a lot of people are going hungry. Uh, a lot of poor people in third world countries. Um, so one kilogram of rice only costs 70 cents, but the cost can be a really financial burden for many villages. Um, and this particular place is called Bayana. Um, most of the citizens are well below the poverty line. Um, so the village leaders launched a program which offers one kilo of rice in exchange for two kilos of plastic waste. It's basically created an instant workforce. And like, you d- no one needs a qualification. No one needs to do an interview. You just go out, you pick up your plastic, you turn up at the depot with your two kilos, they weigh it. Boom, there's a kilo of... A kilo of rice is a lot. That's decent. That's a lot of rice. Mm-hmm. That can feed you for a bit. Um, so this is... Uh, uh, apparently, did you... I didn't know this, but apparently um, uh, Philippines is among one of the world's top contributors of marine pollution, second only to Indonesia and China. Yeah, <sighs> I wouldn't be surprised. Apparently the country generates more than 2.7 million tonnes of plastic waste each year. 20% and of this, it leaks into the, the ocean. Problem. The, the people who wonder why we bang on about this are people who have never travelled and just seen how right. filthy the world mm-hmm. is. Yeah. And, and how much we could do to improve our world. Um, yeah. 
Well, during the month of August, so last month, they were able to collect, this village was able to collect more than 214 kilos of plastic and recyclables. Just from their streets? Just from one village in one month. Yeah. That should give you an idea of how bad how bad it is. Yep, that's um, a couple of tons right there. That is. And so they're now hoping that this, uh, this very simple program, very simple program, is now going to be... Uh, uh, adopted around the rest of the country, and I actually hope this kind of thing gets adopted worldwide. Mm. This would be like every whatever their staple grain is, maize, corn, whatever it is, kilo of that for two kilos of plastic. Like, countries would be clean like by the end of this year. Yep. If you, if you did it everywhere, end of this year, everything's spotless. Anyway, I promised you I'd give you one non-green story, but it is like a little bit greener, Isla. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> but this is a bit of a tear. Spare joker. us. This is a bit of a tear joker. Um. Do so you know what a gurney is? The the beds that they roll around the hospitals, right? Yes. Yeah, the, the beds on wheels. Um, and they have like the little wheels, like a shopping trolley wheel, right? Yes. It's not like it's an off-road wheel. No. Um, well, three for three hours, uh, a group of firefighters volunteered their time to wheel one of these gurney beds uh, through a beautiful forest so that an old park ranger could have one last look at nature oh, really? before he passed away. Isn't oh, that wow. beautiful? Yeah. That's amazing. Um, so his name was Edward Reese. He was an avid park ranger uh, in Washington over in America. Um, unfortunately, you know, the nature lover, he, he, was, he was a nature lover, but he also suffered from multiple sclerosis. And um, and the disease actually forced him to spend several of his final years in hospice care. And, uh, and while he was there, um, he was unable to go outside uh, for a very long time. And he confessed to one of the hospice staffers that he wished he could take one last trip through, you know, his favorite parklands. Um, and the staffers immediately jumped into action and, uh, and they called the fire department <clears throat> and they said, look, you know, we have these gurneys, but they are really hard to, to wheel around as soon as you're not in a hospital or a nursing home. Um, and so we can't do it. We're wondering if like some tough firefighters could come do this. And the firefighters were like, yep, a hundred percent. So the firefighters came over, collected, um, uh, Mr. Reese in his gurney bed, uh, and actually, you know, put him in an ambulance, drove him to a parkland, and then for three hours wheeled him around. And apparently, they said that he was just smiling the whole time. He was saying he was so happy and he was incredibly grateful. And they'd often take little rests because it was exhausting for them. Um, you know, they would just, you know, stop by a creek and, and just every now and then they would just sit and listen to the nature. And, um, and yeah, he was, he was so grateful for it. And it was just a short time afterwards that he passed away. Um, and, I I love what they said. Uh, They said, you know, people sometimes think that working in hospice care is depressing, but this story demonstrates the depths of the rewards that caring for the dying can bring. Mm. And I reckon that's absolutely true because, you know, you know, we've all heard the saying that you can tell a lot about a society by how they treat their, their, um, you know, how they treat the dead and how they treat the dying. And, uh, and this is a beautiful story that there is still kindness out there. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I know that sometimes we can go through rough times and uh, I want you to think about this as you're coming up to the weekend, that people out there still care. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, and not to be you know too depressed and despondent about the situation. I know there's a lot of stuff going on in the news right now, but keep listening to Faith of Air. We'll keep sharing these good news stories to hopefully cheer you up and remind you that it's not all bleak. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's, um, that's just <clears throat> an amazing experience that that individual had. I read a story uh, this morning actually about um, – a young fellow who um, was beaten up and ended up in in uh, an aged care facility at the age of nineteen, and he's sort of looking, you know, ahead in his life, and is like, okay, I'm here for the next sixty five years. Oh. You know, that's a that's a pretty big sentence, and of course, people dying around him all the time. 
So he gets to make friends with old people, but then they just die, and it's just happening again and again mm. and again for the next... Um, yeah, and so there's some people in some pretty desperate circumstances. We should do what we can to um, help out where we can. Anyway, this is uh, Kimi Ogendi with Everything. is plenty What I have is good What I have is beautiful Thank you for it all Teach my heart contentment Teach me to be still Teach me how to rest in you For in you I am filled Only in you I am filled Welcome back, guys. That was Kimi Ogendi with everything you listen to Faith FM. Mon is about to give us another clue for our quiz. What do you got for us there, Mon? Who am I? I was fishing with Peter and the others when Jesus appeared and said, Friends, haven't you any fish? Okay, there you go. Who was this particular person? If you know the answer, 1-800-324-843 is the number to call. Um, if you know the answer to that question right there. 
So, Mon, yes. I thought we would talk about something controversial this morning. Oh, I love a little controversy early in the morning. <clears throat> Drug testing. Oh, yes. Okay, yep, 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 yep. So, should our... Uh, yes. The answer is yes. Every, I feel like everybody should just be like, okay, go on. Sorry. So should our um, Faith FM breakfast show hosts be mandatory drug tested <laughs> as a part of their job? <laughs> I mean, it would be You're a total right. waste of money because <laughs> you and I are never going to get caught taking drugs. I mean, we're never going to take drugs. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I have uh, barely even taken such a drug as caffeine. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I don't, okay. even, I don't even like taking paracetamol. Yeah, no, I, I avoid, I avoid, um, I avoid the stuff like the plague of any any kind of description. I think that I think the turning point for me was when I met a pharmacist who refused to take any kind of painkillers, even if she was like in agony once a month. She was like, "Nah, I'd rather deal with the cramps. I know what that stuff does to your body long term, and I'm not interested." And that really deeply freaked me out. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, I was That's... like, if she's got a six-year degree in this and she's not touching it, <laughs> you know, I don't think I want to either. <laughs> so, yeah. Mm. Anyway. Okay, so uh, so, so you you got no problem with being uh, drug tested to um, as, a, as a part of your work requirement? I, I wouldn't mind at all. No. No, I have no problem with it whatsoever. Because I, know I think the only people who are going to have a problem with it are people who take got, drugs, right? Right, Exactly. Um, exactly. Okay, so there's a different couple of different perspectives that we can look at this from. We can look at it from a Christian perspective where we have a moral duty to make our world a better place. Right. And uh, eliminating recreational drugs is certainly going to make our world a better place. Now, uh, from a secular perspective, there are those who are looking on. And, of course, you know, the, the question is, should our politicians be drug tested? Absolutely they should a be drug tested. And, uh, and I appreciate the fact that some of them have stood up and said, yeah, bring it. I don't understand why they haven't already been drug tested from like years ago now. Yeah, I don't want people running running the country. You know, out of all of the people that uh, need to be drug tested, I think they're probably the most important ones to be drug tested. I don't want people running the country that have been affected by drugs. And, uh, <clears throat> and th- yeah, you get caught taking recreational drugs, bam, by-election. Yeah, there goes your career. You're out. Yeah. By-election, you it's happening, a country. you're done. I think as soon as they figured out that humans have an addictive personality across the board and that we get addicted to stuff so easily and that things like drugs exist, at that point they should have been like, okay, we need to make sure that people who are running the show aren't addicted to these. Okay, but what about people on welfare? People on welfare are those who are, you know, at the bottom of the socioeconomic scale who have often, you know, taken hit after hit after hit. Isn't this just like kicking people when they're down? But why do we, why do we view drug testing as a kick? Why? Because we th- this whole mentality of like you're kicking them when they're down. Why is doing a drug test a kick? A drug test is actually in this situation a helping hand. It's a hand up. They should view it as a help rather than a hindrance. Like if they're on welfare, they're obviously at a point where they need to get their life together. Okay, but if somebody's, some if somebody's quietly sitting sitting at home, uh, sitting on their couch, watching the TV and getting stoned, how does that affect you? Because my taxpayer money is paying their welfare. That's how it affects me, Lyle. Yeah, that's how it affects and I think, all of I us. I think this is a number. Of, I think this is a few. Uh, there's a number of points here that need to be made, even for our secular listeners. So I know that we have some secular listeners here on Faith FM. You know, they're not people of faith, and that's great. We, mm-hmm. we we're glad to have you uh, listening to the show. Um, 
and you know we're not we're not going to try and force our our, our views on anyone. But this is just my thoughts, okay? Yeah. So I, I sort of sat back and did some thinking about this from a secular perspective, and I thought, okay, let's say I don't believe in God because obviously you know my Christianity flavors. Oh, my, I know exactly where you're about to go. go <laughs> it it, it flavors my view of drug testing because right. I'm thinking we have a moral responsibility to make our world and people's lives a better place. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so let me put Christianity aside. Um, how does it affect me if somebody just sits at home and looking at the TV and quietly gets stoned? So I made a bit of a list here. Okay, so first of all, um, people getting people taking drugs is going to result in higher unemployment because they become unemployable when they take drugs. So higher unemployment equals higher tax because we have to pay for their welfare, right. which equals less toys in my garage. That's right. Okay, this is, this is a this is a, a secular perspective, uh-huh. right? Um, People uh, who take drugs have a higher crime rate. Um, higher crime rate equals higher taxes because we have to have more policing, right. which equals less toys in my garage. Yep. Um, higher crime rate uh, results in more things being stolen, which means higher insurance, and sometimes my stuff being ins- stolen, which means less toys in my garage. Yep. Um, a, uh, a higher drug use across the board equals less productivity in Australia. Less productivity means a slower economy, which means higher, which goes with higher taxes, which means uh, less toys in my garage. From a secular perspective, right across the board, uh, it only makes financial sense. It's not just a fun... If you're looking at this from a non-Christian perspective, Lyle, you could actually say that evolutionary-wise... This is a this. It's a good idea to drug test as many people as possible because, you know, if it's survival of the fittest, you want to drag your your society as high up as you possibly can, and if you're trying to get your citizens, you know, your your culture, your society to a way to a point where it's producing well, it's you know the economy is stable, it's doing well, then surely dragging the 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 people at the bottom up is in your best interest. Well, from an evolutionary perspective, there's two ways of looking at it because some evolutionists would say, no, you're better off to kill the bottom ones off. We can't kill them. <clears throat> but well, by letting them take drugs, we're killing them. It's, it's another way of it's killing like people. It's like the slowest... Like, but the it, most, is, it is painful and expensive way of yeah. killing them. But it's, you know, the, the whole Darwin effect, if they're, if they're silly enough to take drugs, then, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. That's the, the whole Darwin just, concept there isn't, a, there isn't a negative aspect to, to doing this drug. And I just I actually don't really understand why people are up in arms about it. Is it because they think it's some sort of, like, violation of their personal space or something? Yeah, well... There, there, there is that kind of an argument that does come through as well, and you know, I think the libertarians are saying, "Well, how does it affect you?" Well, it actually affects me in a whole bunch of different ways. Yeah. Okay, but, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna support drug uh, testing with a couple of buts. Okay. So, if we drug test people, then if they come back positive, they no longer get their welfare payments. Right. Okay, so that needs to be motivation. Right. I'm not in favour of just turning people out on the street to starve. Yeah, okay. Okay, so here's, here's, here's where my butt comes in. If they come back, they then have two options. You can do rehab or you can starve. Okay, all right, rehab. Now, that's actually going to cost us more money. I get that, but it's going to be money well spent because it will create higher productivity in our world because there'll be less people on drugs, um, which will mean a wealthier economy, 
which means that it will create a cycle of wealth. I think the return on that will be very quick. Yeah, the return on investment will be there, and we know that this is the case. Mm -hmm. We know that this will happen because we have the example of what happened in the United States during Prohibition. Exactly. Prohibition hit at the beginning of the Great Depression, right? Mm -hmm. And it was Prohibition was one of the major driving factors that pulled the United States out of the Great Depression. You know, you need to go back and read the history of Prohibition. It was the most amazing thing. And, you know, you wonder why Prohibition is the tool almost universally used by governments across the world today in relationship to drug abuse. You know, it's, it's Prohibition. The reason is that we have 150-odd years of history of Prohibition that we can draw on and we can see that this is the most effective tool that has ever been given to a country to deal with a drug problem. And the reality is... You know, that's 150 years of empirical research. Yeah. And the reality is no one's ever met a drug addict who's come out of their addiction and is clean and regrets being clean. Yeah, exactly. It's like when a little kid is like... (laughs) That person does not exist. When you can see a little kid who's like having a temper tantrum because he's tired, you're like, sweetheart, you need to go to bed. They're like, no, I don't want to go to bed. You're like, I know what's best for you. You will feel better after you go to bed. And this is like the same with drug addicts. Like they don't want to come off their drugs, but you know that if they do some drug testing, they have some, you know, hard life, they come out of this, they go through rehab, afterwards they're going to feel much better. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. In fact... um, 90% 90% of the people that I know who are addicted to drugs would love to be able to break that addiction, exactly. but they just, you know, they're in desperate circumstances and I understand that, you know, desperation is what people drives people towards drugs. But, um, you know, they, 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 they don't want to be addicted to these substances all the time. They want to have a happy life. Our country just needs to have a paradigm shift in thinking and realize that drug testing is a help. It's not a hindrance. It's not a kick. It's a help. And I definitely think politicians need to be subjected to drugs. That's where it needs to start. 100%. Right there. Start oh, there. Oh, yeah. They need to lead the charge. Set the example. Set Absolutely. the example. What's your opinion? Give us a call. 1-800-FAITH-FM. 1-800-324-843. This is Cardiophonia Music with Oh, when, we sh- when Shall We See Jesus? Jesus 
us drink endless pleasures in and shall hear the trumpet sound in that morning shout of glory for I shall mount above the sky when I hear the trumpet sound
Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to Faith FM 87.6, 87.8, or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network. And for our interview of the day, joining us in the studio this morning is Dr. Sven Erstring. Welcome to the show, Dr. Sven. Good to be back, Lyle. It's so, so great to be talking to you again. And it's always awesome to have you as a part of the show, particularly uh, talking about apologetics, arguments for Christianity. And this morning we're kind of picking up from where we were last month. Last month we were talking about Jesus. Is he a historical person? Did Absolutely. he actually exist? But today we talk about, we raise the subject of, uh, okay, if he did exist, then was he actually the son of God? So we've got a lot of people out there who are like, yeah, 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 no worries. We, we, we accept that Jesus existed because the religion of Christianity wouldn't exist without a founder. That makes sense. Yes, That's exactly. Obvious. Muhammad, uh, Muhammad, Buddha, Buddha Gautama Buddha, exactly. exactly. Yeah, they, they've all existed. But the son of God, yeah, no, that's a little bit of a stretch, you know. Uh, Muhammad said some good things. Buddha said some good things. Jesus said some good things. These were good people, um, but that that lived good lives, and we can emulate their lives, and we live a good life by emulating their lives. But when it comes to worship, do we but, actually worship this person? But you know, th- this is a really good point because um, uh, you know, if you said to me that you had a mate. Uh, out at Maitland, and uh, and you said, "Look, look, Sven, I've, I've just met this amazing person, and and you know, Peter is the the son of God." I mean, my natural instinct reaction would we, be. We just going, had a fellow named Peter out at Maitland uh, recently doing a series of presentations. Really? <laughs> is he the son of God? No. No. Okay. No. But, but the point is this: is if you said he was the son of God, then my natural reaction would be go. I don't think so, Lyle. You, look, you're a good friend. I uh, love your spirituality. But as soon as you say that that guy's the son of God, no. So, you know, you can kind of get it, particularly say, you know, for the Jews living at the time, you know, for, for people to say, hey, this guy, Yeshua, Jesus, is the son of God, they'd be going, no, no, he can't be. Well, I've met people who have told me that they are the son of God. Really? Twice. Was uh, was it at a mental institution? Uh, no, but they were people who were on medication or may have been a little bit off their medication at the time, I'm not sure. You know, definitely medicated people. And so immediately when you, you hear these claims, you think mental illness. Exactly, exactly. Like there was a guy up in Queensland, uh, Kilroy, I think it is. That's right. And he's got a girlfriend who they, he says is Mary Magdalene, and uh-huh. he is... The son of God. And and you see it in the papers and instantly your, your reaction is, no, it can't be true. Well, that one, the one in Queensland, I kind of think uh, he's come up, he, he may not have a uh, an issue of mental illness. He's just come up with a smart way of making money. That, that is true. That is true. And, and so the question is this, is the case of Jesus, is it different? Okay, so the two examples that we've just given, I've met two people who were mentally ill. Um, you know of this guy in Queensland who is uh, you know, a con man, yes, a liar and a fraud, um, and pretty much people who claim to be the son of God fall into those categories, right? Exactly. What makes Jesus different? That's what we're going to search out today. We want to have a look at, and this is the point, is we need to look at the evidence. We need to look at the evidence. So we're going to dig into the historical records of Jesus. Remember, what we have is, is historical records that are backed up by Josephus, Tacitus, uh, Suetonius, all of these guys, they, they really uh, corroborate uh, the evidence that we have. And not only that, Lyle, but it's also when we go into the life of Jesus, his life is literally backed up by hundreds of years 
of Jewish predictions, Jewish prophecies, and hundreds of those as well, literally 300 to 400 prophecies. And that is my first piece of evidence, Lyle. Okay, that's pretty big because if you were able to fulfill, if, if you had 300 prophecies, you read all those prophecies and you're like, okay, I'm going to try and fulfill all of those within three and a half years um, or with even, even within 33 and a half years, that's still a pretty big ask. You've got a lot of prophecies to get through on a pretty regular basis. It is, it is. And a guy called, a mathematician called Peter Stoner actually calculated the probability. What he said is, to, just to lay carefully, he said, take eight people in this studio or office or, or wherever we may be, take eight people and allow them to make guesses, educated guesses, with regards to the, the life of a single person. Uh, so, so where they might be born, where they may work, you know, how they may die, all those kind of things. And, and then see if you could find, based on those eight guesses, whether you could find one person that fulfills all of them. And he worked out that the probability that one person would fulfill those eight random guesses is one in 10 to the power 17. So that's a lot of, lot of zeros. That's pretty much the, the, uh, the, the probability of impossibility. Well, let me, let me give you an example. So imagine that I had a whole bunch of silver 20 cent piece coins and I painted one of them red and I filled the whole state of New South Wales with silver coins. Uh, I walked around and I buried that one silver coin uh, up to half a meter. Then I blindfold you and I allow you to go as long as you like. You just walk around. You, you can feel the coins. You can sniff them. And then you have one guess to pick up the coin and it's got to be the red one. That's the probability that eight prophecies would be fulfilled in one single person. So that's New South Wales, half a metre deep. Half a metre deep of 20 cent pieces. 20 cent pieces. Yeah, that's a little bit too many 20 cent pieces, I think. Now, Can we that, make them $2 coins instead? Now, that's <laughs> that's eight prophecies. Okay, so imagine that we had 48 prophecies and he worked out that the probability is one in 10 to the power 157. So let me put that in perspective, okay? So in the universe, they have worked out, the um, scientists have worked out that there's uh, somewhere in the, in the order of about 10 to the power 80 atoms in the universe. So here we have the probability of 1 in 10 to the power 157. So that's like having two of our universes, right, side by side or wherever you want them to be. You paint one atom red. I send you off in a spaceship and you cruise around for as long as you want. How many of light years you, you've got to, to spend on this, uh, this puzzle, uh, the, this competition and blindfolded, remember? And you get to, uh, reach out with your microscopic little tweezers, uh, and pick out one atom. And you've got to pick out in two universes, you've got to pick out the one single red atom. That's the probability of 48 prophecies. And I've still got to do it blindfolded. You still got to do it blindfolded. Yeah. Okay. All right. So yep. this this is amazing. So literally, the life of Jesus, the whole Bible, if I could put it this way, uh, Lyle, is that the whole Bible is looking towards the life of Jesus, saying He's coming, He's coming. This this person of Jesus is coming. So that's the first piece of evidence. Okay. So what's um um our second piece of evidence? Okay, and this is really good as well. It's actually a Jewish prediction as well. But Jesus was born in a very very special way. Mm -hmm. He, uh, you and I are born naturally. We've got mothers and fathers, as as your your sons and my kids do. 
Uh, but Jesus uh, was not conceived the same way we were. He was supernaturally conceived. His mother was a virgin when he was was conceived. So, so literally, it was impossible for that to happen. There's only one way it could have happened, and that is that God worked a miracle in in actually creating, uh, conceiving this person called Jesus. And it's incredible to think about. Okay, what about the life that he lived? What is what 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 uh, evidence do we have? There, that he was the son of God. Well, I want you to think about this. If you were to to meet God, uh, if he is truly God, the greatest being in the universe, what are some of the qualities you'd expect for him? The Bible says God is love. God is love, and there's no darkness in him at all. Mm-hmm. He's he's perfect. So if if God is like that, and Jesus is the son of God, you'd expect him from the very day that he was conceived. Until, until right to the end of his earthly life, that he would live a perfect, loving life. And that's interesting because you don't find his enemies coming up with a list of sins that he has committed. No. No, you don't. And when he, so when his enemies are admitting that he lived a righteous life, then that's pretty good testimony right there. It's one thing for you know, his disciples to say, hey, he never sinned. But then when it comes to his enemies, it's like, okay, what did this guy do wrong? Well, he said to the Jewish authorities, the leaders, the religious leaders, he said to them, who of you can can convict me of sin? Mm-hmm. Who of you can say, point out my sin? And, and they're speechless. Mm-hmm. They've got nothing to say. But there's, there's another example, Lyle, and that is right at when he was being executed, there was, a, there was two people on either side. They were criminals. Uh, they, they were insurrectionists. They, they were protesters. And, and they... Um, and the two of them were kind of heckling a little bit, and then then one person, one of them, actually changed, turned his heart around. He turned to that guy and said, "You know, we are here because of the the crimes that we have committed, but this guy has done nothing wrong." And yeah. you know, and that's the reputation Jesus had. And and the fascinating thing is this, Lyle, is that if you look at the other world leaders. You, you look at Gautama Buddha, you look at Muhammad, you look at even Moses, you, you go through their life record, you look at King David, um, you go through their life record and tragically, uh, they, they were just as human as us. And look, we, right. we can, there but the grace of God go you and I. We, we've probably even done maybe even worse things than, than some of these guys. But you know, Jesus stands out of the crowd as someone who actually represents, actually demonstrates the very character and nature of God. And that's what you'd expect if he was the son of God. Mm, mm, mm. Now, he was, um, Jesus obviously was credited with um, supernatural miracles. Yes. Is there um, evidence for that outside of the Bible? Absolutely, absolutely. Remember we talked about Josephus. We did, Jewish historian. Exactly. First century. And Josephus said this, that he was known to be a teacher of truth, so he was a a moral teacher, but he also, in his words, he did surprising works. And that's very interesting because that's not a typical Christian kind of a phrase. No, we would say he did miracles. He did miracles. Or, or uh, you know, you go through the gospel, he did signs. You just, this, you, this is a historian trying to wrap his head around what actually took place. Yes, that those are words of Josephus. He didn't pick it out of the Christian records. And, and so what we have here is that God's supernatural power was demonstrated in the life.
life of Jesus. But there's another thing, Lyle, as well, is this, is that Jesus did not go around and just work magical tricks. Now, if you go to the Gnostic Gospels, which were written in the second century, they were kind of like novels because it was very cool and trendy to to write about Jesus. Mm -hmm. Uh, So let's write some novels, you know, Harry Potter kind of style and and write some cool things. Um, In there, we find him doing these kind of nasty little tricks uh, to, to kind of, he gets upset and he goes like, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make some clay birds and clap his hands and they're gone. But in the Bible and, and in the other records that we have, the miracles that Jesus did were to help other people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that demonstrates to me, you know, when he heals people, when he, when he cures them of mental diseases and de- demon possession, it says to me, there walks a person who is demonstrating the love of God in his very nature and his actions as well. It's amazing. Now, sometimes when I'm sometimes when I'm talking with um, Muslim people, they raise this objection that Jesus never claimed to be the Son of God. Well, that, that's a that's a it's a very interesting thing. Now, remember, of course, that that the Quran that Muhammad was writing six hundred years after. Jesus lived. Mm-hmm. So, the one of the kind of I'm not saying the Quran says that, but I am saying that I get this objection from Muslim people at times. Like, oh, you won't find anywhere in the Gospels where Jesus claims to be the Son of God. No, but he does. Ah, okay, he okay. does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is really, really interesting because look, he he didn't start off by coming and saying, "I'm the Son of God." I mean, Jesus was more wise than that because if he just rocked up on the scene and I'm the Son of God, I'm the Messiah, we would have all, everyone would have written him off the same way that we write off crackpots today. Exactly, exactly. But there came a point in his life where Jesus said, "Yes." I'm the son of God. And it was at a very particular time. He, he avoided confrontation and, and um, conflict uh, for much of the early period of his life. But then right at the end, when, when the, the intensity of the, the conflict between uh, the religious leaders, the, the, the moralists of his time and, and Jesus, uh, Jesus actually almost walked into this. And for a very important reason, he was captured, even though he knew it was coming. He, he predicted that he would be captured and betrayed. But he walked into this, and, and then they, they, all through the night, Lyle, they, they were trying to, to nail him on, on all these convictions. You know, they talked about how he had said he would destroy the temple, and, and even then, it, didn't, it just didn't make sense. It didn't work. And then finally, the high priest... The, the religious leader at that time got so upset and frustrated, he, he turned to Jesus and said, in Mark, the very first gospel written, he said, tell me, are you the son of God? And the interesting thing is at that point, when Jesus had been silent for the whole time before that, Jesus said, yes, I am. And at that point, the, the high priest tore his robes, which he shouldn't have done, and blasphemy, you heard it all, and, and they all, let's crucify him. But the interesting thing is this, Lyle, is that at his, uh, at his trial, Jesus was convicted and executed not for what he'd done. You know, most people, they're, they're convicted because of murder, rape, uh, violence, you know, arson attempts or successful arson attempts. Jesus was convicted for who he who he was, and that's fascinating. No, nobody, very, very different from the thieves that were crucified exactly, with him. Exactly. 
It was his identity. He was killed because he said, yes, I am the son of God. And, and at that point... And this is why Pilate washes his hands, isn't it? Because Pilate's got nothing he can actually convict him on. He hasn't actually done anything. Exactly. And that's the other thing, going back to our previous thing. Pilate comes out to these guys and says, I, I can find nothing wrong with this guy. He, he's lived a sinless life. And, and then when they, when they nail him for being, being uh, son of God, he walks away and says, this is, I'm, I'm not going to get involved in this. And it haunted him for the rest of his life. I'm, mm. I'm absolutely sure of that. But, you know, the, the amazing thing is this, is that Jesus was convicted and executed because he said, yes, I'm the son of God. You know, a con man, a, 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 um, uh, a person who is mentally, um, you know, challenged. They start out by claiming to be the son of God. Yes. And then run a million miles when things get tough. But this is, Jesus starts out by not saying anything about it. And when things get cut tough, he, he then makes the statement. Yes, and he was killed for it. He doesn't run away. But, you know, uh, just a couple of few, three days later, as the Bible says, uh, Jesus came back to life. And there's the crowning evidence. Yeah, fantastic. Hey, next time you come on, Sven, I would love to talk about the resurrection. We will. There is probably nothing more foundational to Christianity or improbable in our world than the resurrection. Absolutely. So why found Christianity on the resurrection? I would love to spend some time talking about the resurrection. Sounds great. And, Look why, to and why should we believe in it? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Dr. Sven Erstring, uh, it's been fantastic having you on the show here. Unfortunately, we are out of time, but uh, we always appreciate it when you come on. Um, and uh, we look forward to your next visit where we will talk about the resurrection. Sounds great. Look forward to it too. You listen to Faith FM. We will be back after this uh, next couple of songs, then the 8 o'clock news. We'll be back with Encounter with God. A flower grows And I believe that somewhere In the darkest night A candle glows I believe for everyone Who goes astray Someone will to Faith FM, positively different radio. Is forgiveness 
or the lack of forgiveness eating away at you? A relationship breakdown maybe, long-term hurt, unresolved conflict. You know, it can be dealt with. If you want to break the cycle and start living a more forgiving life, Forgive to Live is a program designed to help us all improve our lives and be more forgiving. Don't let it eat away at you anymore. If you're keen to discover the power of forgiveness, why don't you take that first step and head to forgivetolive.org.au. I came to church a beggar and found I have a saviour so Anna Beden. It is also very simple. Don't miss this once in a lifetime event as two of our country's best Christian singer songwriters come together in concert. October 12th, 6.30 at Maitland SDA Church. Call 0413 122 348 now to book your seat. 